I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Perfect. And over to you. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Inside Try Show, sponsored by Long Range Fuel. I'm Helen Murray and this is the weekly podcast bringing you the best interviews in triathlon and beyond. Now, this episode is for you if you want to be comfortable on a bike. Simple as. If you want to go faster and spend smarter, well, it's for you as well. And if you've ever struggled with a really crap saddle and being uncomfortable, then do keep on listening. Mr. Mike the Bike Taylor. He sounds like a wrestler. He's really not. So Mike Taylor is this week's guest and he is as passionate about cycling and bikes as I am about this podcast, which I can tell you is a hell of a lot. And he's also one of those really nice guys. So you're going to like that. Talking of good guys, I am really pleased to say that Ali McDonald and Greg Potter and the team at Long Range Fuel are continuing to sponsor the podcast for another few months. So I pretty much have two months to convince you to head over to resilientnutrition.com and buy some of their phenomenally tasty performance enhancing nut butters. I was actually eating the dark chocolate and hazelnut energized version with a chopped up banana before I did my turbo session at lunchtime jar spoon a bowl it was it was rather lovely to be honest so yeah a perfect snack just before a turbo (laughs) at least then your mind's in the right place so if you are after some nutrition for your long runs or your long rides or your lunchtime turbo sessions before lunch then yeah go and check them out maybe you have a long day by the computer and you need your brain to be firing on all cylinders then have a look into long range fuel i did see that lucy gossage had done some crazy challenge at the weekend and she was using it as well the energize versions are great for performance and the calm versions yeah they keep you calm but they support your recovery as well. And if you do have a big day out, then the pouches are perfect. Shove them in your pocket, shove them in your rucksack, Bob's your uncle. If you're at home, mm, well, I would say the jars are amazing and they are amazing. Uh, You have to control yourself because spoons and jars, it's a dangerous combination. (laughs) It's a dangerous combination. But a wonderful combination. So you can get 10% off with the code InsideTry10, all lowercase, over at resilientnutrition.com or follow the link in this week's show notes at insidetryshow.com. Right, we're going to start off with a bit of try sharing wisdom. So here's Dan Braddock from Shrewsbury Try and some tips on transition. Most importantly, be organised. Have things neatly positioned in the order you will need them. Have your cycling shoes in front of your running shoes. If you wear them, have socks in your cycling shoes. Have an energy gel in your running shoes. This will remind you to take one if you need it at the start of the run leg. Put your helmet and race belt on your bike handlebars to remind you to put them on. Nothing's worse than leaving transition without those on. Before the race, pick out some easy points of reference like a lamppost, a tree or something that won't move. This will help you find where your transition point is. Walk the route from where your bike is to the exits for the run and the bike. You may feel silly doing this, but trust me, this will save you a lot of time and effort running around transition unnecessarily. 
And finally, enjoy the pre-race banter. It's one of my favourite things about the event, and in many cases, it will actually calm you down before the event. Have fun. Don't forget to splash, thrash and dash. Thank you, Dan, for that. And if you have some wisdom that you want to share, I would love to hear from you. Just get in touch with Inside Tri Show on social media. You'll see the Tri Sharing Wisdom posts, so you can comment on those or just message me and we'll see what we can do. But picking up on the walking through transition thing that Dan was saying there, oh, that has saved my life so many times. And I would normally um, walk through transition with my glasses on. And I'm like, right, okay, there's a tree there, I can see that. Oh, a signpost there, brilliant. Yeah, okay, I can spot that. And then count things. And then I try and do it with my glasses off because (laughs) I have to do that in a race. I don't have my glasses and I'm pretty blind when I get out of the water. So uh, yeah, that is one of the most important things that I do. I take way longer than most people in transition. I have even been known to go through transition taking a video on my phone so then I know and I can look at it later on when I'm not there and I can really get it in my head because I have been that person in a total flap not being able to find my bike and there's nothing worse. I mean there are many things worse but come on if you can avoid it it's best to avoid it. So yeah, now if you're racing over the next few weeks, massive good luck. Isn't it awesome to actually have some races back on? It's oh, it's brilliant. It's really, really good. And I know that a lot of you have been really busy training as well. You've been telling me, Rob, wait, has smashed out the latest Ironman virtual race. Holly climbed five Munros and then wondered why her cycle commute into work the next day was slower than normal. <laughs> Claire Grimmer swam over 7K as she prepares for a big open water swim. Mitch cycled across North Wales. Alison says she did a big brick session ahead of her triathlon race at the weekend. And then Jennifer, I loved what you said on Twitter. Jennifer did a half Ironman and she said, not setting any PBs, but in a year without any races, it was a good reminder to myself that my body does remember how to do a long swim, bike, run day after all. Oh, it's so true. And it, it you kind of think at the moment, I don't know if you've been smashing it or just like ticking over, but you do have that consistency and that is going to make one heck of a difference. And if you have a good base to go from, you're in such a good position, such a good position because we can build that race specific fitness back up. Time for this week's interview. So if you think that you need all the gear to go faster, then think again, because this week you are going to learn how to spend smarter and go faster on a bike with expert bike fitter, Mike Taylor. So if you've ever struggled with saddles, you're debating whether you should buy a time trial bike, or if you want to know how to really keep your bike clean, but you've never wanted to ask for fear of looking like a fool, don't worry, I have done it for you. <laughs> so Mike has fitted the likes of Chrissy Wellington and Lucy Gossage. He has helped me out loads. He knows so much about bikes. As you're going to hear, he's pretty much grown up in the bike industry and his passion and knowledge is second to none. But you know, one of the things that I love the most I think sometimes if you go into a bike shop or you're talking to someone who is a a complete expert in their field and you feel really stupid sometimes asking questions, with Mike, you really don't. He is so down to earth and you can even talk to him about numb penises and saddle sores where you really don't want them. Here it is. Mike Taylor, welcome to the Inside Tri Show. Now, Mike, working in the cycle industry... What have the last few months been like for you? Busy. It's been really interesting. You know, we've we've seen a huge surge of, of new customers for us, which is great. A huge uptake in what I'll call the gym going market. Millennials that would have been in the gym three or four days a week. People with really young families who all their avenues to sport were pretty much closed off and they've engaged with cycling, which is fabulous for us. The challenge and the trick is to keep them in. But with things like triathlon, you have those opportunities for them to, to multi-sport, to, to really sort of feed their own enjoyment of, of doing lots of different things. So time will tell, but I do think it's potentially another upsurge for cycling that will last. Have you had a day off yet? don't really do days off because it's like because <laughs> it's what you do 
right. Um... So, Mike, cycling and bikes have mm. pretty much been in your blood, haven't they? Like you, you grew up surrounded by bikes and a very passionate cycling father. Yeah, no, completely. And, and you know, um, obsessive, some would say. My father has quite an interesting story. He, he unfortunately lost his father when he was only eight. And he's, you know, back then, post-war, that was not unusual, I suppose. He found his escape and his solace in nicking his sister's bike and going off on it, basically. And, you know, he tells tales of saying to his mom who was staying at a friend's house and literally getting on the bike and riding and sleeping under hedges. And so I've been brought up with oh, there's a great bus stop there you can sleep in if you get caught at three in the morning. Or And it's great because it's next to a public loo, so you can have a wash and you can bring your bike into the bus stop with you. So no one... That's how I was brought up. And, and they call it adventure riding now. But effectively, back then, it was just long-distance riding. And, yeah, some of my earliest memories of being stood on the side of a main road watching Dad trying to break some record or other, some distance-to-distance distance record, you know. Yeah, it's fairly unique upbringing, I would have said. I can name most fast A roads within a 100-mile radius for about the age of five just because I'd stood next to them watching Dad race. So, yeah, it's I been think good. That, I think that would be quite unique. And then did you always want to work in the bike industry? No, I, Dad opened the bike shop when I was 11, and I started working on Saturdays from about the age of 12. You were allowed to back then. Well, you probably weren't, but, you know, we got away with it. And I love the tech. I love the... I found it fascinating, whether it be some of the beautiful componentry that was coming out of Italy or whether it be some of the really sort of interesting suspension stuff coming out of the US at the time. I just thought it was brilliant. And I stayed in it until I went to university and then, you know, went off the rails and started wearing a suit and a shirt and a tie and working in London for 10 years and, you know, doing all that. And then eventually uh, dad wanted to retire um, in uh, probably about, 17 18 years ago i just got married to kate who loves the bike riding loves the triathlon we wanted kids and we didn't want them in london so we kind of thought well why not we'll give it a shot so i took over the business about 17 18 years ago and uh kind of haven't looked back i love it it's the most frustrating industry to work in but there's quite a high energy and quite a high happiness level in a bike shop if it's run well i think um so yeah so it it's I won't do anything else. Now I'm back. <laughs> How did you get into the bike fitting side of things then? Um, I heard about bike fitting about probably 12 years ago as a, as a concept, as an idea. It was in the US. It had been in the US for a few years, this idea that you can look at certain things and create um, solutions to problems on a bike. And I, I thought it was quite interesting as an idea. So I, I engaged with... Um, with the guys at CycleFit down in Covent Garden, and they'd been trained over in the US. Um, and I went with a very open mind to see what I was missing, if I was missing anything. Because for years we've been doing bike builds, specific bike builds and setups. Coming from a ultra long distance background, um, as both a rider and in our family, people came to us for long distance bikes. And you know, getting the saddle height right, getting the saddle to bar drop correct so you weren't putting too much stress. But it, there was no science behind it. It was experience and just looking at a rider and going, okay, well, we're now putting you into a discomfort zone. And having been around that long-distance world for a long time, you know, what you know someone can carry for an hour, you can instantly see there's no way you're going for three hours. And, and, it, and, and the biggest barrier to most people doing long-distance stuff is their position. You know, you, the amount of riders you say, you know, okay, great, you've done 50 miles. Now all you've got to do is do it again. They're like, oh, I couldn't possibly do that again. And and it, it's it's not because they're not fit enough, because actually you don't need to be that fit to go long. You just need to not be damaging yourself, not hurting yourself. So I went with an open mind. I learned some interesting things um, and realized that probably 70% of what was being taught, we already did. We just didn't call it bike fit. But actually, what I learned is that there is a process and taking the um, the client with you through the process is really important because actually it's not just a process about them getting a better position on their bike and riding quicker or with more comfort without pain. It's also an educational process. I think the key thing here is none of us are symmetrical. Most of us are symmetry 
I probably see about once a year. And it's either with someone who is solely training for that because of injuries they've had, or someone who basically teaches yoga, you know, or Pilates, who is at an extremely high level. And they tend to have a really great symmetry. The rest of us don't, yet we're sitting on a symmetrical device for hours. So it's about working through that asymmetry versus symmetry conundrum. I think the biggest thing I learned was from an American doctor. He pretty much put it in a nutshell, which is it's all about the feet. Now, I never went in expecting that to be the case. But in reality, get the feet right, the rest tends to flow. And most bike fit solutions, in my mind, start with putting the feet in the right place. What difference can a good bike fit actually make to someone? So that's a very broad question, which I like. So I work in the realms of 20%. What does that mean? I believe that most people who come to see me come away with a gift of 20%. Now, how they use it is is kind of up to them. So you can be no more comfortable but be 20% quicker, which is quite a massive jump, but we certainly see that. And again, I would caveat this is people who are in cycling first year or two, okay? Or if you're in discomfort, you can use your 20% token to become 20% more comfortable. My aim when I go into a bike fit is I want someone to be faster, more aerodynamic, more powerful, and way more comfortable. And we normally achieve all of those things. And usually it's because we achieve the comfort that the rest follow. We can do we can then play around with power and aerodynamics because you're coming from a much more stable, stroke comfortable position. When Kate did Ironman Maastricht, I was I was there in my support capacity and I was at the the start line. And um, a chap came up to me and said, are you Mike Taylor? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, you won't remember, you bike fitted me about three years ago. And he said, I just want to thank you. He said, you knocked eight hours off my Ironman time. <laughs> and, and basically, he, he, his first Ironman he'd done, he'd been in such a state that it took him 17 hours. He then went on to, to, to go sub 10 because he could actually run. I didn't make him much quicker on the bike. He was already quick, but he literally got off the bike and then, walked, crawled, broke down, stopped at the side of the road, did all these things. But it was just one of those scenarios where you meet someone who finally can perform at the level they're capable of because the bike didn't break them. And, you know, the biggest challenge to a triathlete is is to get to the running race. And I think a good triathlete bike fitter, a good triathlon bike fitter is really focused on getting you to the run, the best person you can be, the best athlete you can be. Will someone's position, Mike, be very different for a, I don't know, 20 or 50 time trial compared to the Mm. Ironman leg of a triathlon? I suppose it depends on the individual again. If someone is looking to ride at 30 mile an hour plus for that 25 or that 50 and he's coming to you as a, a fit enough athlete to achieve that, then yes, their position will be more aggressive and more aerodynamic and you will have to build that in than than a half Ironman or an Ironman triathlete would need would would cope with really for what I would good club standard you know so if they were riding a 25 mile time trial somebody wanted to go in and around the hour maybe do a 58 59 that position would probably be the same that I would build for them for an Ironman you know it really would um, because you've got to be comfortable but what you'll see is once you're above 25 26 miles an hour then the key to speed is aerodynamics. You know, the the guys and girls that are out there, you know, knocking on 30 mile an hour plus door aren't necessarily putting more power down than someone who's doing 25, 26 miles an hour. But what they are being is extremely aerodynamically efficient. Now, the slight issue with aerodynamics is often it is is quite a, it's, you know, it's a similar pose to what you'd be put into as a torture device. You know, this kind of like, you know, sort of extended arms and, and elbows out front and, you know, all that pressure and build. So you've kind of, most normal people have a limit of what they can cope with in that position. Um, and it certainly wouldn't be be good to then try and run off the back of it, you know. Um, so I think it depends on the level of the athlete is the truth. But, you know, look, hey, what we're seeing now with the top Ironman athletes on the planet, you know, the sort of performances they're putting out on the bike are, they're right up there with the top tri- top um, time trialists. And they can run. 
What about a normal age group triathlete, though? Would you go for comfort over the aggressive position? Always, because again, aerodynamics are exponential. So, so what I mean by that is an aggressive position might be really aerodynamic, but it's far less aerodynamic at 18, 19, 20 miles an hour than it is at 28, 29, 30 miles an hour. The, the, the benefits are, are minimal. You know, you have to look at the, the speed of the rider and, and the capability of the athlete in front of you. So, you know, you can normally tell as an experienced bike fitter and someone who's been in around the sport for years, you can normally spot if someone is um, erring on the side of uh, positivity when it says what they're out to achieve. And you can normally get a sense of what someone's capable of from their first 10 or 15 pedal strokes that tells you an awful lot so i wouldn't build a super aero position for someone that's trying to move from you know 25 kilometers an hour to 28 kilometers an hour there's just no point what you need to do is open up the power and allow them to maintain that power for hours on end so comfort is massive there once someone's at that um you know age group winning level um maybe you know they've done a half and they're top 20 once someone's at that then i think it's a different conversation i think the positional work you do is different but for me aerodynamics are important above 25 miles an hour i think realistically it's like we see people turning up with disc wheels on their bikes and then their output is 17 18 miles an hour you know and if it makes them feel good that's fine but it's not making them faster and i believe there was a research done a while back that said actually below 17 miles an hour an old-fashioned woolen jersey is actually more aerodynamic than lycra i never knew that that one's a fascinating thing so right obviously triathlon is a very expensive sport yes there is a a limited amount of maybe people have a set budget a limited amount of money that they Mm -hmm. want to spend Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what is the best investment do you think in terms of getting quicker I do believe a bike fit is, is gives you a massive return on your investment. So I think it's extremely good value for money. The problem is you don't come out with anything shiny or carbon or, you know, that people can go, Ooh, that's nice. Um, so there is definitely a side to that, that, you know, maybe we need to make carbon fiber stickers to say I've had a bike fit or something. I don't, I don't. And, and look, I get it. You know, I love bling. So I, I totally get that. Honestly, after that, a coach equipment is equipment now so it's important that you have a reasonable set of equipment however what you now get for eight or nine hundred pounds off the peg as a road bike if you're starting out is a fantastic bike it's an amazing bike okay and it's not much heavier than a two or three thousand pound bike in fact often it's not really not far off at all and bikes come in this kind of phase where you get something around 800 to 1,000 pounds, which is, which is good. You kind of have to double it to get something that's noticeably better. And even then, it's, you know, it's carbon fiber now, not aluminium. Then you've got to go to like 4,000 pounds to get a really good pair of wheels in that bike. And maybe you've moved on to electronic transmission. You've almost got to keep doubling the money. And you get to a certain point. I mean... You know, we, 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 we have riders and we have customers that pay 10, 11, 12,000 pounds for a bike. And they are absolute works of art, things of beauty, but they are very small percentages better than a bike that's 5,000 pounds, but it's half the price. So it's massive diminishing returns. Mainly it's, it's, it's about desirability and um, bragging rights to a level. It's definitely part of it. You know, um, but for us, the bike is important that it works. And then once you've got a bike, you know, if you had a thousand pound bike and wanted to improve it, you put a really good pair of wheels in it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. 
This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Now, an interesting question, Mike. I remember for probably about a good oh year, 18 months, I was in a real dilemma. Do I, don't I, do I, don't I? Can I justify buying a new bike? I don't know if I can. I don't oh. know if I deserve a time trial bike. I don't really know. What should I do? <laughs> I don't think I'm alone with that. There'll be lots of people who might have, you know, just got into triathlon. Mm. They're, they've done well on their road bike, but maybe they've mm. entered a, you know, an Ironman next year. Do they yeah. need to buy a new bike? Clearly, you're a businessman. You may say yes, but let's. <laughs> no, do you we, need think... Do you need a time trial bike to do triathlons? Basically, again, I would I would say no, not necessarily. And again, I think that there's a lot of variables in that. So, is your journey in triathlon a journey of of personal achievement, where you go, do you know, what? I want to do an Ironman. I don't care. I don't care if I'm last across, as long as I you know get across and and that's all i'm interested in right so in which case you go for comfort enjoy the day right there used to be a theory coming out of the us that if you just have one bike and you're triathlete it's a tri bike that's it that's all you need i think that's if you're all you're doing is riding a bike for training however most people love the sports within triathlon in their individual right and a triathlon bike is not going to do you great Deeds where I live down in Dartmoor, you try coming down a descent on Dartmoor on a tri bike and you will only do it once. I think if you're serious about wanting to achieve maybe it's age group uh, qualification for Europeans uh, or the worlds and you're on that journey, then I don't think you'll get there without a tri bike. I think it's important that you have the right machine. So I would say, A, you've got to be able to commit a budget to it. And in reality, you know, two and a half to three thousand pounds is where you need to think about spending for a tri bike. Is the truth, and even then, probably, within a year, you'll probably also be buying some really nice race wheels for it, because a two and a half, three grand tri bike isn't going to come with really nice race wheels. If it has, then it's compromised something somewhere else. Um, but no, I, I think you can enjoy triathlon at a reasonable level without one. But once you hit a certain point, then yes, I think you have to have a tri bike. And I do remember having that conversation with you as well. Um, however, you know, some of the greatest performances of all time, you know, did it on a steel frame with drop handlebars, cable showing, right? So you can ride really quick without all this tech and aero, but um, for us mere mortals, it helps. I remember, Mike, that you did fit me very nicely and very, very, I felt very aero on my road bike, actually. We, we got a really good fit on that and um, I did have some snazzy race wheels on it. I just about scraped the qualification, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So we've covered um, whether people should buy a time trial bike. We've covered road bikes mm -hmm. as well. Um, as someone who regularly services bikes, Mike, what really does your head in when people come in with their bikes? Nothing really does my head in because if they all knew the answers, then, then we'd be out of business. So I think there are certain things that if I can pass on, it would be really helpful to riders to understand understanding how things wear out on a bike is really important so if there's some tips i can give one is buy a chain checker it's a little metal plate it's a really simple device that will tell you when your chain is worn and needs replacing if you replace your chain at that point your cassette is good and you can probably replace three chains to every one cassette and probably six chains to every one set of chain rings at the front on your on your cranks. However, if you run that chain for another 500, 800 miles, then it's just chain and cassette. So now you've tripled your cost. And if you run it until it's like rope and there's no nothing left to it, then it's chain rings as well. And now suddenly you've you've taken the cost and multiplied it by ten. So learning how to check your chain is is probably the best gift I can give to the cycling community, especially anyone who's aiming at half a full Ironman, because you'll be putting the miles in, you know, and a chain to give you a guide. If you change gears regularly and you do a lot of gear changing, or if you're someone who grinds in one gear, both will wear the chain out in equal levels, probably 1,500 to 2,000 miles 
before you change, you know, when you have to change a chain. Most people change a chain when it goes in for a service and are shocked when their bill is 180, 200 pounds because it's not just chain, it's cassette, it's all of the above. Put oil on the chain, but not too much. There's a challenge. Probably 10 to 12 drops of oil on the chain every couple of rides. If you go out and ride and it's hammering down with rain and you're riding through standing water, then dry the chain off with a rag and put some more oil back on it and then oil it again before you go back out. And that'll keep your chain in good order. There's loads of different lubes, loads of technical lubes. We use muck-off products. I mean, lots of other products do exist, but we use the muck-off products in store. They have a fabulous guide as to which of their products is right for you. Tire pressure, I see both sides of it. People running them too low and then wondering why they're getting pinch punctures on their tires every time they hit a pothole. And more often than not, I see the classic, I've taken it to the limit, you know, it's the spinal tap, you know, we've got 11 on ours. It's that kind of a, it says go to 120 PSI or 130 PSI. So I went to five PSI more because obviously, you know, that's what I should do, right? I don't think there's anyone out there that needs to ride with, ride with a tire pressure, certainly in triathlon, of probably more than 100 PSI. I ride general riding 90 PSI on a 28 mil tire. How do you know what to go for on tire pressure? On a tire, on a tire sidewall, it will give you a pressure rating. And it normally say between 80 and 125 PSI for a road tire, something like that. Um, now, Again, can I can I make a I'm going to make a sweeping generalisation here. I work with loads of female and loads of male clients, and there are some really distinct differences. Men will always put 120 psi because it says go to 120, so they'll always put the top number in. Most of my female clients are smart enough to go, you know what, I'll go somewhere in the middle, and that's definitely the way to do it. If it says 80 to 120, go around 100. But what I tend to do is, for most riding, I will run 28 mil tyres, which are now quite commonplace and i would say somewhere between 90 and 100 psi in the dry and 80 to 90 psi in the wet and that will do you absolutely fine as soon as you start to go harder than that all you're doing is taking the shock absorbing qualities of the tire away and you become the shock absorber so you're suddenly feeling all the rough road surfaces what about bike cleaning i know it seems like a really obvious question but um where do you begin with cleaning a bike and how how do you best do it? I've seen some people put put bits of bike in a dishwasher. Okay, that's bold. <laughs> that's impressive. Yeah, I'm not sure I get away with that at home. Um, it comes down to twofold. is 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 about the products you use. Um, and there are some excellent cleaning products. Again, I'm going to defer back to Muckoff because it's what I know. But people get a bit obsessive. They either don't clean their bikes at all or they become obsessive about their bike cleaning to the point that they're usually doing damage to the bike itself. So a bike as a machine requires a certain amount of oil and grease to, to keep it going. So the bearings require a grease in them. Most chains require an oil. Most cleaning products will strip the grease and the oil off your bike. So what I tend to do is I clean gently. Um, I tend to, if I'm cleaning a chain and the chain's got black and dirty, I will take a rag, I will put some cleaning product in to the rag itself, some degreaser, and I will run the chain backwards through the rag, just getting the most of the most of the rubbish off the chain. So you start to see the colour of the chain. Often it's like a silver colour or something like that. With the rest of the bike, with the exception of disc brakes, and we have to be careful there, I will use um, a mild detergent, you know, washing up liquid, and put it into a bucket of warm, well, warm to hot water, as hot as you can cope with, and use a sponge and I will just wash the bike down and wash all the muck and the dirt off the bike using that. If there's an area that's not coming off, it might have some oil ground into it. You might just need to go back to that that rag approach and just on that specific spot area. But I don't jet wash. Um, all the jet wash tends to do is either, is either blow the muck into the bearing seals and into your bearings. Or if you put, deter uh, put a degreaser on there, it'll blow the degreaser into your bearing surfaces and degrease the bearings. Um, we do see a lot of bikes in the shop that are spotless and are squeaking like crazy because someone stripped all of the good stuff out by making their bike clean. So I would say clean your bike regularly, but don't obsess about it. And then, Mike, saddles. I want to chat mm. saddles because I had a good chat uh, with your sister, who's lovely, mm. Linny, because I was a bit <laughs> I was a bit embarrassed, really, because my I was so uncomfortable 
And I was like, mm. what do I do? And she's like, we will get this sorted. <laughs> so it's possible to be comfortable on a saddle, isn't it? <laughs> it is possible. Yes, it is. So you talked about Lynn, my sister, right? So there's someone who spent more time on a saddle than most. She holds a Lance Enterstone Brothers record. She holds a thousand mile record. She's, I think she's ridden, I can't know how many 24 hour races and 12 hour races. So, and interestingly, having worked with Lynn throughout her racing, so for the last sort of 30 years, you know, here's someone who has changed saddles over the years as she's grown older, stronger, less flexible, more flexible throughout that whole period, whatever changes happened has often required a different approach to the saddle because she's engaging with it differently. It is possible to get comfortable on the saddle and there is a massive choice of saddles now, which is part of the issue. Now, when, you, when you're trying to find a good saddle, what you need to do is a number of things. Is If it's on a road bike, you need to understand your structures within your backside fundamentally. So we have something called sit bones. That's the, the sort of generic term for them, uh, which is effectively the bottom of the pelvis. Only, literally, it's the bones that you sit upon. And for a number of years, the perception was that women have wide sit bones and men have narrow sit bones. Okay. And men are longer, of wider back to front than women are. So women's saddles were short and wide and men's saddles were long and thin. And that was considered the, the right thing. Now, interestingly, there's, there's no scientific proof for that at all. In reality, that's just informed as we all are, by our version of what male and female is. So I saw no rhyme to reason. We, we a number of years ago, stopped taking the generic labels off our saddles to say whether they were male or female. And we just made them saddles that were available to anyone. And the female-specific saddles, I reckon about one in five we sold to a male. And the male-specific saddles, about one in five we sold to a female. So there really was no sense. It was about the right saddle fitting that right individual. And it, and it is quite personal uh which saddle fits which individual understanding your sit bone width is really important okay and understanding what i would call the center of the sit bone width and then you can apply that to the width that saddles are sold in saddles come from like a 128 mil wide up to like 170 mil wide so quite a variation and getting in the right realms is really important because what you then do is you have both sit bones will engage with the saddle so a lot of the top athletes I've worked with over the years, it comes to me pretty damaged. Most people end up at my door when when they're in a bit of a state. Um, and f certainly for a lot of the female athletes I work with, their biggest issue was they were um, they were buying or they were given, you know, the, they were given by the manufacturers the top bike that that manufacturer made for them to race on, which would always have a man saddle on it because obviously that's the way the, the bike trade is. And invariably, so you've got these riders who maybe have a 155 mil wide sit bones sitting on a 128 mil saddle. And what they do is they just put one of their sit bones on the saddle to provide stability. And then effectively, you're ended up really twisted on the bike because only one side is being supported. And usually this ends up with a real disengagement on the other side. Now, these athletes are still super quick, but in agony delivering the performance. Um, and something as simple as putting the right width saddle on centers them and suddenly they lose all of that discomfort and pain from having the right width of the saddle so understand your sit bone width now most decent bike shops will have a device and it's usually a gel pad that you sit on and you leave indents and then you can draw a line through the middle of those indents and measure that and that's your sit bone width that you should start with then it's about understanding the saddle to handlebar drop you know how over rotated you trying to make the rider how much are you trying to rotate the pelvis over and therefore what that then implies is how much pressure is being put on the front of the saddle is that where you're sort of your bits basically yeah fundamentally so so you know so our female athletes have way more nerve endings there so it can be really bloody uncomfortable because effectively you are putting a huge amount of pressure at the front of the saddle and i'm always blown away by how much discomfort a lot of our female athletes put up with because they believe that's what cycling is it's part of the it's part of the badge of honor oh yeah god i was in so much pain or i've got a saddle sore or i'm bleeding what you know i mean it's horrific right and then with male athletes it, it involves penile numbness so literally you know you can have penile numbness you can have bleeding um from the penis there's, there's, i mean there's so many horrible 
things that people put down as being normal because that's what cycling is right it is meant to be hard and painful and it really isn't you know you get a good saddle you don't even think about it but it has to be specific to you what i would do and what i would look at as a consumer is twofold one i think this is one of those things you engage you with in, in in a shop with you know so you can go in be fitted for the saddle take it out of the store ride it for a couple of months see how you get on with it and if it's not working out for you it comes back and that feedback that you give to the store helps them then understand okay because of that we think this saddle is going to be the better choice for you i've worked with a number of riders over the years who bought four or five saddles online and even if they're saddles that offer a comfort guarantee because you bought them online you lose that so you have to be really careful that you don't spend a lot of money on some saddles thinking that's all right i can put them on and send them back and then you go to send them back and they won't accept them back because you've fitted it to a bike so it's no longer a in-the-box product so engage with a shop this is one of those areas, helmet, shoes, saddles, engage with the shop. And I'll be honest with you, bike, engage with the shop because you'll get it right. And, and you know, expect that it might be like, like when you first start running, it might be a, a bit of a journey to find the right thing for you. But when you do, it's transformational. Do you remember me getting in touch with you in complete panic before 70.3 Staffordshire and the race was on the Sunday and I already had my time trial bike, but... I didn't want to sit on it because I was so uncomfortable and you were like, Helen, bring the bike in on, it was either the day before the race or the day or two days before. And you were like, we'll, we'll get it sorted. We will sort you out. <laughs> One of the questions people say is, well, hang on, this saddle used to be okay. This saddle used to be all right. So why is it not now? Sometimes because of what I told you about, about self-selecting one sit bone versus the other, you'll end up putting a lot of weight into one side of the saddle over the other. And actually over time, you'll twist the saddle. Alternatively, as a rider and as a triathlete, you've developed and got stronger and fitter and you've adapted your position to suit that new found power or new found flexibility. You know, you've put your saddle up, you've moved your handlebars forward and down without understanding the impact on the pelvic rotation and therefore the impact that um, the pressure on the saddle can then have. No No saddle problem is too great that it can't be solved. And it worries me how many people come into the sport go out for a big bike ride end up in all sorts of problems and then walk away from sport going it's not for me but yeah engage with someone who has been around cycling stroke bike fitting for a number of years and you know i think one of the challenges we see a lot of people come into bike fitting from a physio perspective which is fantastic because the input they give us is huge and the education they give us is huge but they often don't understand the bike piece and they don't understand what's possible and what's not they don't understand the obsession that some of us bike fitters have with saddle design and saddle shape or shoe design and, and our obsession with the, the nuances around that. Um, you know, I've imported saddles from the US because it's the only saddle I could see that was going to fit a certain rider and it wasn't available in the UK. So, so, you know, you have to have that level of obsession if you've got some real issues. But for most people, get the support right, get the rest of the body supported well. And a lot of people that struggle with the saddle, it's not the saddle that's the problem. You know, most saddle issues are resolved elsewhere. They're resolved in the feet or they're resolved in the handlebar setup. But because the saddle is the point at which you effectively center all your contact, any issues on the bike will end up eventually in the saddle is probably the truth. So often you resolve the saddle by resolving other things. And as many times people come in for a bike fit because the saddle's a problem and the one thing we don't change is the saddle everyone's a challenge at saddle but they're all solvable and yeah things to, that should stop you engaging with a saddle is loss of feeling that doesn't come back quickly bleeding saddle sores now, saddle sores are awful things if you get a saddle sore you're probably off the bike for four to six weeks because you're going to need to recover and talking um, of saddle sores yeah. mike because i think i had a combo mm. of saddle and shorts with seams in the wrong place i think yeah, so so you can get some real issues around shorts and and again, so it goes back to the how does the bike trade um, view our female clients? How does the bike trade deal with female clients? Because for years the bike trade was like a lot of coaches. Women are small men, therefore we will give them the same as we do for men in a smaller size and make it pink, which is awful, but that's how it was. That's how the trade was. But for years, women's cycling shorts were like the saddles, wide with big pads. So you had all these pads that were ruffling up and forming seams. 
the forming of rubs, or the stitching was in the wrong wrong place. Like male, female anatomy and male anatomy is a very not only different from each other, but different from other female and other male anatomies. So you kind of have to find a pair of shorts that work for you. If you're having problems, I would suggest that it's worth trying a narrower pad. I think the other thing is for a triathlete is, honestly, if you can train in cycle shorts and race in a tri-suit, you know, tri-suits have no padding. You know, they have nothing that's worth the support. And if you're going long, especially if you're going long and you're not at the pointy end of the race, if you're going long half for Ironman and you're going out there to achieve personal goals and ambitions, take the time, get out your swim stuff and put bike stuff on. Get out your bike stuff and put run stuff on. For the minute and a half to two minutes it will take you, it will save you untold agony. Finally, Mike, you fitted some of the best athletes and triathletes. You fitted the likes of Chrissy Wellington. You fitted the likes of Catherine Foe, who was an incredible age grouper. You did even Meredith Kessler over video. Is that right? Yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, yeah, so... So I did offer to fly to San Francisco and fit Meredith, but we couldn't quite get the schedules together. So no, Chrissy Wellington introduced me to Meredith, who was struggling a lot with injuries and struggling to run off the bike. I mean, an unbelievable athlete, Meredith Kessler. I mean, oh my God, what a what a horse. I mean, unbelievable. But yeah, we did a Skype bike fit, which was quite uh, interesting. So she had her uh, one of her strength and conditioning coaches there, who was also handy with uh, the Allen Keys. And um, and she was doing all the changes to the bike and the change stuff. So we would have to do some video analysis. And then we'd I'd, I'd look at a certain thing. Like I'd ask her to solve the shoes. I'd ask her to make some changes. We'd validate it. And we'd, we just basically went through the process that I would do personally in the studio, but via a video link. And, yeah, I think, I think it certainly helped. Certainly with the Ironman athletes I've worked with Meredith is one of the most interesting partly because of what we did online and pretty much that's what I'm doing now you know I'm not comfortable with the idea of being in a studio for three hours with someone who's breathing hard you know it's just not there that you know and also the racing isn't there to necessarily require it you know the events aren't ongoing so I'm working with a lot of clients that send me video clips and we do that and I do analysis on that and you know clients I haven't worked with before then we can probably nail three or four key changes to their physical setup on the bike to really move them on clients that I've worked with before then you know often it's as simple as me just working out what's gone on since the previous fit and then just applying some tweaks and changes to get them back to where they need to be um so yeah it's a bit of backwards and forwarding and a bit of uh, sending of video clips and then me asking for specific imagery or what have you but yeah, it seems to be working quite well and quite successful. Um, and also people don't have to travel to the Midlands or Devon to see me then can do it from wherever. And Mike, if someone is listening to this and they're interested in doing that and getting a bit of a, a bike fit or some advice <laughs> or anything like that, what should they do? How do they get in touch? Yeah, email me, mike at btownbikes.com. Email is always the best way because A, you will definitely get hold of me. I live in a valley in the middle of nowhere in Devon, so... Yeah, so if anyone's got any problems, get in touch. I'm you know, more than happy to help. And yeah, let's get everyone back out on the road. Thanks for listening to the Inside Tri Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Tri Show. Please do continue to get in touch. I really love hearing your news or what you're up to, your thoughts about the show. If you want to find out more about Mike and the services that he offers, more about him, then head over to the show notes at insidetrishow.com and you'll find everything you need to know there. And a heads up as well, if you have any old kit that you don't know what to do with, but you're thinking of getting rid of it, Hang on to it. Hang on to it because next week I'm going to tell you about Souls for Souls, which is a project that professional triathlete Laura Siddle is getting involved with. So basically, don't throw your kit away quite yet. Pop it somewhere safe and then we will hear what you can do with it to help benefit others. Okay, so as for my news, well, it's been a busy week with Move Charity this week, but yay they get to go on holiday next week you can probably hear the excitement i cannot wait i'm so excited so we are off to tembi home of ironman wales for the non-ironman week <laughs> 
it's going to be great to switch off. Yeah, we're taking bikes. Clearly, we're taking bikes, wetsuits, all that kind of jazz. But there will be a lot of switch off time as well. I have been swimming in a 50 meter pool. Oh, my goodness. It was the first time in a 50 meter pool since probably maybe Australia. Wow, that seems like a long time ago, way before Christmas. Uh, First time in a pool over 20 metres since March, for sure. And the first time in a pool with actual lane ropes and one pool that was not 32 degrees warm. It was just glorious. I could not stop grinning as I was swimming very slowly up and down. So yeah, that was a real highlight of my week. Then I could bore you about DIY, but I'm not going to because it, quite frankly, is really boring. We did three days of it. You don't need to know anymore. You do need to know that if you enjoy this podcast, you like what I do and you'd like to support what I do, then you can become a patron. That would be amazing. Head over to patreon.com forward slash inside try show. And yeah, it means a hell of a lot to me. So thank you. And thank you to everyone who does support the show. I can't thank you enough, quite honestly. So this week's show has been sponsored by Long Range Fuel, who make phenomenally tasty performance enhancing nut butters. You can use the code InsideTry10, all lowercase, for a discount on their products. Just head to resilientnutrition.com or you can follow the link in the show notes. And if you head over to helenmurray.net, you can also sign up to regular emails. Thanks to 33fuel.com and comfuel.co.uk for their continued support. For natural and yummy bars and ultimate daily greens, 33fuel.com is the place to go. Use the code InsideTry33 for a discount at checkout. If pick a mix is more your thing and you want different energy products, sweat tests, water bottles, whatever it is, then head over to comfuel.co.uk. Use the code InsideTry at check out for a 20% discount. Not a bad offer. So until next time, look after yourself, look after those around you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll speak again now. Sports Social Podcast Network.